If I take a plastic water bottle and I leave it on the side of the trail, sometimes I've come back and the water bottle's gone. Someone else picked it up. Other times I've come back and more trash has gathered around that water bottle because other people went, oh, this is where the garbage goes. Mo Lemire is a New York State certified hiking and camping guide, and he's the volunteer New York State representative for Leave No Trace, an organization that provides a framework through seven principles for recreating safely and sustainably. In July, a group of hikers was ticketed for carrying two full Adirondack chairs to the summit of Slide Mountain and leaving them there for public use. While their intention may have been good, a donation of comfortable seats with a view, leaving anything behind flies in the face of Leave No Trace principles and laws on the books to protect our wild places. I met with Mo Lemire at Catterskill Falls to learn more about leaving no trace in the Catskills. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Ulster Savings Bank, an award-winning bank where community matters. Meet the friendly staff at their Phoenicia and Woodstock locations. Call 866-440-0391 or visit them at ulstersavings.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Thanks also to Briars and Brambles Books, the go-to independent book and gift store in the Catskills, located in Wyndham, New York, right next to the pharmacy, just steps away from the Wyndham Path. Open daily. For more information, visit briarsandbramblesbooks.com or call 518-750-8599. So I am Mo Lemire, a New York State certified guide for hiking and camping. Uh, I have my own business, Hike on Guides which I have been running full-time since 2018. I am also a master educator with Leave No Trace, and I am the volunteer state rep for New York for Leave No Trace organization that's based in Boulder, Colorado. We've chosen a particular spot for this interview. Tell me uh, what the significance of this spot is. We're at Catterskill Falls here in the Catskills in Haynes Falls in the town of Hunter and it's probably the most heavily visited outdoor location in all of the Catskills Park. So when new visitors come here, this is the first place they go to. Good morning. And here we go, the Catskill Center Stewards. How's the season going? At the trailhead, we bumped into Jill and Milo. They're part of the Catskill Center's Catskill Stewards program with a presence at Catterskill Falls and three additional high-use sites. We just give people mostly directions of where to go if they haven't been here before and also give leave no trace principles make sure all the trash comes back that people bring towards the falls and let them know that there are bears in the area it seems very surprising to people that there's not just squirrels here <laughs> but yeah we can make sure people follow the correct paths and not you know go towards social trails and avoid making rock stacks that can you know, erode the, the, the falls down there. We'll hear more on social trails and rock stacks later in the program. Jill and Milo lamented that just that morning they were faced with the refuse of a confetti cannon that someone thought was a good idea. People were walking by us after we were picking up all the confetti and they were like, oh, but it looks so nice in the sun. And they're like, oh, it's horrible that people do that, but it looks so pretty. And we were kind of, you know, explaining to people why it wasn't good for the environment that, you know, this small plastic things are attracted by birds and they get washed down into the falls and fish will eat them and kind of, you know, small stuff, micro trash like that is really important to be aware of. 
you mentioned beer cans and things like that. Are people just inconsiderate, stupid? Uh, you know, <laughs> what think, do you attribute this to? Yeah, I think it's because the dumpster is all the way up here and people, they like their convenience and when they don't have it, they unfortunately just think of the area around them as their trash can. It's funny when people will hide trash, they'll hide it under rocks and behind bushes as if they know what they're doing is wrong, but yep. do it anyways. Oh yes, and how to hike with the dog. That's another leave no trace bone of contention. Later in the show, we'll hear about best practices on that one too. So you're keeping track of um, how many people are coming in and out too? Yeah, we record the total uh, number of visitors. We record the positive interactions we have, like even if it's just like a wave, like good morning. We have a metric sheet that we fill out daily and we just kind of like do tally marks. We count the dogs that come in, the bikes, the people coming from the rail trail, stuff like that. And we record it every day. Then we submit these to Jill who records it in like a online document form. Good data to have. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> You know, a real high-use area like this, really important place to mm -hmm. have some education about what Leave No Trace is all about. Can you tell me what it's all about, kind of in a nutshell? Yeah, Leave No Trace, you know, when you boil it down to, it comes down to people's own personal ethics. There are seven principles of Leave No Trace, or outdoor ethics as we call it. And if folks follow these seven principles, it allows for many, many people to come and recreate in outdoor spaces and have minimal impacts versus a few people not following these seven principles and having major impacts. So a place like here at Catterskill Falls, thousands of people are visiting this location every week. And by you know, implementing and teaching people leave no trace, the impacts to the land here will be much more minimal than if people just had a free-for-all. I asked Mo to explain the seven principles. Here is number one. Number one, plan and prepare, is the most important part of Leave No Trace. It's the, the one principle people do usually the worst job at. Nowadays, with our cell phones and technology, people just kind of just jump in the car and will figure it out along the way. And a lot of times, if you don't do that prior research, you're gonna show up at locations and be woefully unprepared. And you may be also doing things you're not supposed to be. Certain parts of the country, you can't bring a dog with you. People, a lot of us have dogs and people will show up with dogs and if they don't know that, they could be ticketed, they could have a bad interaction with other people. So doing that basic plan and prepare stage, do people know where you're going? Are you going out by yourself and no one knows where you are? <laughs> do you have water with you? Do you have the right footwear? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So a perfect example of not planning and preparing correctly is one of the major calls for help that I have been witnessing here in the Catskill Park and also all over the Northeast is people calling 911, calling emergency dispatch or forest ranger and saying, it got dark and I don't have any light. They didn't have a headlamp in their pack. As a hiking guide, as an outdoorsman, a headlamp is in my pack every day, all day. Even if I'm going out for an hour, it's just, it just lives there. It doesn't ever leave. I always check it to make sure it has new batteries and I always carry spare batteries in case the ones I have die. But it's surprising how many people don't realize that it gets dark after sunset and they don't have any sort of light with them or they're reliant on their cell phone saying, well, I have the flashlight on my cell phone that, that'll get me out of the woods. 
And if you've ever turned your flashlight on on your cell phone and let it run continuous while you're walking, it doesn't last very long, your, your phone dies. <laughs> and so the plan and prepare stage is just the most crucial and most important part of all of Leave No Trace. And if you do that, the other six follow in suit. Principle number two. Principle two, choose the right path. It used to be called uh, travel and camp on a durable surface. Choosing the right path is basically sticking to the trails. If you're out in the woods and you're hiking and many people walk in the same spot, vegetation gets trampled and ultimately that turns into mud, which will turn into dirt, which will turn into a hard packed surface. And once that happens, that's considered a durable surface and nothing's going to grow in it for many, many, many years. And so our hiking trails that are marked, like what we're on right now, this is considered a durable surface. Thousands of people can walk in the same place and have minimal impacts. Mm -hmm. If everybody that's coming to Catterskill Falls decides to go to the right here, walk through the woods, all of that grass and all of that vegetation will be trampled and it will no longer exist. Folks have a tendency, like if you see over here, they'll cut from one section of trail to the other because they see people, well, why don't, why don't we go that way? Right. And when that situation happens, and a lot of people understand this, erosion can happen and then the entire trail system can get washed out because water loves to flow downhill. And so when you're recreating outdoors, stay on the trails, don't cut them, don't make your own. And the more people who cut through, the more people will cut through because it becomes more and more of what looks like an established yeah. trail. Scientifically speaking, they've done a study. If five people walk in a straight line into the forest, impacts start. Other people may see that and go, where's this go? And they start going that way. Mm -hmm. And then more people see that and start wandering that way. And that's what I call the trail to nowhere. And sometimes on a major hiking trail, you'll see a side trail going off, not marked or anything, and people just start following it. And it gets longer and it gets longer and then it just dead ends. These trails, or as we call them social trails, start forming all over the place because folks are leaving the main path. People talk to me about, well, what about bushwhacking? Because here in the Catskill Park, we have several peaks over 3,500 feet that are on a list that people want to hike. There's other mountains all, all over the park that people like to explore and hike, and there's no trails on those. And what has happened at this point in the game, so many people have hiked these mountains that have no designated trail on it, and they're sharing things like um, GPS tracks, that a herd path is what we call it, has formed because many people have walked in the same spot over and over again. And you can kind of see a hard packed surface that no ferns are growing in, no moss, no vegetation. So at this point, where this has already started forming and a durable surface has started to form, I'm trying to implement to folks, if you're going to hike some of these mountains here in the Catskills, stick to that formed herd path and let's not make any more. Because mm -hmm. if we start going up the mountains all different ways in mass numbers, you know, say a mountain like Hockett may end up having seven herd paths going up to the summit. Do we need that many? The Catskills have mass amounts of land and people love to explore. And bushwhacking is not a bad thing. It's just when many people do it on repeat in the same spot, that's where you get that compacted soil and that trail that gets formed. Not that many people are bushwhacking. The large numbers are people that are on the official proved trails that already exist. And that's where we want to keep people stay on the trail. Tying into that on principle two is when you go camping. When you set up your tent and stick it on the ground and sleep in it, that weight is going to mush down whatever you're putting your tent on. And so when you're trying to pick a campsite, 
you know, here in the, in the Catskills, we have 32 kilters, or lean-tos as we call them. And those 32 lean-tos are a built structure with a platform. So thousands of people can camp in that. Every night you can have six people in that lean-to again and again and again. And the impact isn't gonna, it's already there. The building has been built. If you don't want to stick in the lean-to, try to find a designated campsite that has been built. There's sort of obvious places where tents have gone. If people camp in those, again, every night somebody can be camping there, durable surface is already formed, the impacts will be minimal. If people just start camping anywhere, that's perfectly legal here in the Catskills. And if you did plan and prepare stage, you would know that to camp in the Catskills, not an approved site, you have to be 150 feet away from a road, a shelter, water, and you have to be below 3,500 feet. If you did the plan and prepare stage, you would already know that information. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know that and they just, oh, we'll camp here. If you're under pine trees and there's nice pine needles, no vegetation, and then there's this huge section of ferns, where's the best place to put your tent? If you set it up in the ferns, all that's gonna get mushed down and probably killed and may not come back next year. And you kind of have to like pick and choose the best place to set up those situations. So choose the right path. You wanna kind of choose the right area to walk and camp to have the most minimal impacts to the land. So it doesn't take much at all. Ah, it's beautiful. Look at all this is starting to grow in. So this viewing platform was put in to allow folks to come to Catterskill Falls, view the falls from a safe, beautiful location. And because the structure was built, people would go to use it and it focuses all of that use. And then if you look around the falls, it's not all trampled like it was back in the 80s. Um, down below, you'll see all these different herd paths, but the vegetation's starting to grow in. Uh, you can see where people have walked in the past. And if we let it, nature will return. A lot of improvements and a lot of money was put into Catterskill Falls to make it safer, to focus everybody in the same area, to minimize the impacts to the land. At this point, it's probably close to a million people have stood on this platform, mm -hmm. and the vegetation around it has kind of, you know, come back. Which brings us to principle number three. So number three is pretty basic. Dispose of waste properly. And that's when I think of leave no trace, that's probably the biggest one in my head. Yeah. That's not, not realizing there's all these other principles. Yeah, and that's one thing about principle three, dispose of waste properly. We think of garbage like beer cans and food and plastics. But also we have to think in terms of waste, dog waste, dog poop. Human waste, <laughs> you know, this, these are all things that happen in the outdoors. Um, and so when it comes to regular garbage waste, if you did a plan and prepare, and you did that part of your uh, pre-adventure, you may have a plan for, all right, do we have a trash bag with us? What I do, I save old Ziploc bags that had other stuff in it, and I, instead of throwing it away, I keep it as a trash bag for the day whatever waste that gets generated during the day, tissues, I just stick in that Ziploc bag, I seal it. If I see other trash out in the woods, I could pick it up, put it in there. But- um, Leave it better than you found it. That's yes. something my parents so, used to tell me when exactly. we camped. <laughs> and so you'll hear this terminology, carry in, carry out. So if you carry it in, make sure you carry it out. I like to say carry in or carry out more than what you carried in. So if you see it, pick it up. And if we all do that, 
really has minimal impacts to the to the land and also to other visitors experiences there's nothing like a buzzkill then you're going to a beautiful view and there's a pile of poop i've seen that before it's like are you kidding me <laughs> or you get there and there's a pile of orange peels or pistachio shells and you want to sit and you're like sitting in someone's garbage pile that's what it feels like to me and you would be surprised but trash breeds trash and i've done this as experiments here in the catskills if I take a plastic water bottle and I leave it on the side of the trail, sometimes I've come back and the water bottle's gone. Someone else picked it up. Other times I've come back and more trash has gathered around that water bottle because other people went, oh, this is where the garbage goes. So here in the Catskills, I think as a team effort, many people work very hard to keep the trash out. And people have a tendency when they don't see any trash, they're more conscientious of, oh, I can't, it fell out of my pocket, let me grab that. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you start seeing a lot of trash around on the sides of trails and roads and parking areas, people just, they get out of their car, stuff goes flying, they're like, oh, whatever. You know, it's already, it's already been destroyed. So <laughs> probably the biggest issue we're seeing is um, the dog poop bags. You know, at this point, those that live in urban or suburban areas, we've trained ourselves, if we have a pet, the dog starts to go, you get that dog poop bag and you clean up after your animal, which is great because you don't want to have dog poop all over the sidewalks or people don't want it in their front lawn. Out here in nature, I think people just go through that autopilot of doing that and then when they get to the stage of tying it and throwing it away, there's no place to throw it away, there's no garbage can and they go, well, what do I do with this? I don't want to stick it in my backpack. Well, let me hang it on this tree branch, put it here and I'll pick it up on the way back. And then what will happen is they won't be paying attention, they'll forget. Then you see dog poop bags floating around in the woods. And as we know, plastic does not biodegrade very quickly. So we have now encapsulated this dog poop in a plastic bag. So what can you do? Well, you can, for instance, buy some sort of like sandwich container that you specifically mark for dog poop. And then you can put the bags in that plastic container, keep it in your backpack. If you're like, oh, that's gross. The other option you can do, it's like you would with human waste, you bury it. Let the dog do its thing and then pull the leaf litter back, dig a little bit of a hole, get it in there, bury it back up and it will start to biodegrade. And then for humans, there's multiple things you can do now. They have things called biffy bags, where you do your business. You basically wrap yourself in a little plastic bag. There's powder to neutralize, sanitize. It all gets tied in, and it's like multiple bag layer, and then you just leave it in your trash bag. People are like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> then in that case, you would dig an eight inch cat hole, as we call it a cat hole, Getting eight inches down, six to eight inches, you're in that layer of duff. Because to break something down, organic material, you need three things. You need air, you need water, and you need microbes. And the microbes is the one thing that people forget about. So when they have like orange peels, they just throw them on the ground. Oh, it'll break down. Not if it just sits on the surface. <laughs> if you dig a hole six to eight inches and do your business and then bury it, it'll start to break down 
No one's gonna step in it, no one's gonna see it. Um, oh, here we go. As we are walking upon a plastic bottle that someone has thrown on the ground or maybe it fell out of their pocket. We can only hope it fell out of their pocket. Yeah, we can only hope. But either way, you're gonna pick it up yeah. <laughs> and bring it back. While Mo stows that bottle, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, leave no trace, principles four through seven. And then, which principle did those Slide Mountain hikers violate by huffing a couple of Adirondack chairs to the summit? Stay tuned for the answer right after this. Cat's Cast is sponsored by the Hanford Mills Museum, where you can explore the power of the past as you watch the water wheel bring a working sawmill to life. Bring a picnic to enjoy by the mill pond. Just be sure to pick up your trash when you're finished. For more information about scheduling a tour or about their new exploration days, visit HanfordMills.org or call 607-278-5744. And by the 52-mile Catskill Mountains Scenic Byway, following New York State Route 28 through the heart of the central Catskills. For maps, itineraries, and links to area restaurants, shops, and accommodations, visit scenickatskills.com. Back at Catterskill Falls, Mo Lemire revealed principle four for leaving no trace. All right, number four is leave what you find. And so basically it's a simple, you know, leave nature as you found it. I will talk specific, Catskill specific stuff because, you know, different parts of the country have different issues mm -hmm. based on what's happening. But here in the Catskills, leave what you find when it comes to a historical stuff. We have a lot of old hotels and old remnants of hotels and you'll see old dishes that were broken and pieces of pottery, super cool. If you leave it for the next person to see it, what a cool experience. But what people have a tendency to do when they find the stuff, oh, I'm gonna take that, that's so cool. And then honestly, what ends up happening to it? It ends up in the drawer, on a shelf, collecting dust, and then somebody goes, what is this? And they throw it in the garbage, lost forever. And so when you see those historical artifacts, leave them. Take pictures, you know, maybe pick it up and like look at it in fine detail, but put it back where you found it and let other people that are coming after you have that same cool experience. Think about others. And then like when it comes to things like nature, the natural setting, one of the things that we run into here a lot is rock stacking. And people go, what's the big deal? Who cares? Cairns. Cairns is C-A-I-R-N, not to be confused with K-A-R-E-N. <laughs> so a cairn, a purpose of a cairn is the way to mark a trail when you can't use a traditional blaze painted on a tree or like a metal disc or a plastic disc like we have here on the Catskills. Overhearing our conversation, so two passing hikers wondered out loud, what's a Karen? What is it? What's a Karen? Karen is a way to mark a trail. It's a rock stack. It's a rock. Okay. It's a rock stack. So here in the Catskills, we have a lot of people that try to be artistic and they'll make rock stacks. And what happens is once one person does it, other people come, oh, I want to do that. And they start running through the forest, pulling up rocks, which is habitat, trampling vegetation, and it exponentially grows. And so I'm a hiking guide here in the Catskills and I saw a Karen, you know, on the side of the trail and I left it. Yeah. Came back a week later, there was four. Came back two weeks later, there was 36. And so if you think about all those rocks, where did they come from? and that impact to the land. So it's, it's like exponential. People don't think to do it. Mm -hmm. 
Same thing with a tree. Someone yeah. carves their name in it. And it follows, yeah. The whole thing goes. Harvesting, like for instance, let's talk about ramps. People love ramps. Ramps are great, they taste great. And for those who don't know, ramp is like a, a, a wild uh, uh, onion. onion. Yeah, yeah, yep, a wild onion. That people go crazy and for the, in the spring. Yep, the greens are delicious, great in salad, saute. They're a delicacy in New York City restaurants, and if you buy them in the markets, they're top dollar. When it comes to wild you know, mushrooms, ramps, the rule of thumb is one can harvest for their own personal use. So maybe for dinner, for their family, but one cannot come here and harvest the entire hillside to sell at a New York City market. You know, because there's a way to harvest ramps sustainably to allow them to come back. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to make some money off of it, it's, it's slower to harvest something sustainably. And it's much quicker just to pull it. And when you pull that bull boat, it's gone forever. And so leave what you find, leave it as you found it. Principle number five. And so then we got principle five, be careful with fire. And so, you know, a lot of people have asked me in the past, like, you know, what's, what's the big deal about having a campfire? And I'm like, well, if you don't manage it correctly, you could burn a whole state down. We've seen that in the West Coast. You know, these massive fires that have killed hundreds of people and destroyed millions of homes because somebody had a campfire and they decided to leave it. Here in the Catskills, we are lucky enough to be a much wetter environment than say the West Coast. But we do have periods, especially in the spring, where we'll have a really dry spell. And our forest floor, rhododendron, mountain laurel, some of our pine trees, they go up quick. They burn fast, the oils in their leaves act like a fuel. But when you have a campfire and uh, you build a rock ring to have the fire in, you basically sterilize the ground because the heat, any seeds, grass, anything underneath that fire has been burned and sterilized. And it usually takes a couple of years for anything to grow back in that circle because everything that was there has been neutralized. And so do you need to have a fire? You know, what's your purpose for having said campfire? If it's to cook, can you do something like a stove? Uh, nowadays with backpacking, there's a lot of lightweight stoves that boil water pretty quickly, like jet boils and stuff. If you're somebody that must have a campfire, okay, what's the best way to do it? Can you find an established campfire ring that already exists? So here in the Catskills, if you're planning and preparing and you're gonna go camping and you decide to stay at a lean-to, all of our lean-tos already have a fire pit in front of it. And so by having a fire in that fire pit, that four by four, that square, that ground has already been impacted. And there could be a fire there every night in that same fire pit. And that area is not gonna have any more or less impacts. And the number one thing about having a fire is make sure you put it out. You should be able to stick your hand where the fire was and not be burned. And if you can't, then you didn't, you didn't put it out properly. <laughs> Uh, walking away with a smoldering fire, if the wind picks up and nobody's there, sparks start coming out of it, that's where you can have a forest fire. Uh, so now we're on the other side of Catterskill Falls. We yep. hiked around and... Uh... We're down in what we call the bowl. And, you know, having this trail system put in, it made for a safer viewing of this area. Because people generally wanted to come here and they were trying to scramble on their own. And people have died here because it's a very dangerous area when you're not sticking to the trail system. But you can see why people like to come here. 
That's a beautiful spot. That's a beautiful spot. It's a beautiful spot to contemplate. Leave no trace principle number six. All right, number six, respecting wildlife. I always bring it back to plan and prepare. If you're going to recreate somewhere in the country and you kind of do some research, you may learn, oh, that hiking trail has falcons that are nesting in the month of August. And so park staff have asked people not to hike there in the month of August. Sections of uh, parks get closed now because asking people not to go <laughs> hasn't worked so well. So now it's like, you're not allowed to go. So when you're in the woods, respecting wildlife, you know, observe it from a safe distance. Uh, it's quite beautiful to see a bear in nature or deer, but don't harass animals, don't taunt animals. Also, when we talk about respecting wildlife, I should tie into food storage, especially at popular destinations like Catterskill Falls. People are here and they're picnicking and they're having snacks and lunch. And they see a bird or chipmunk, they throw food at it, oh look! Now we're training that bird or chipmunk to come to us for food. They can stop learning the ability to fend for themselves. And then when late October comes, and all of the tourists go home. And that chipmunk comes running to the edge of the trail and it's standing there waiting for people to come. And they don't come. Chipmunk doesn't make it through the winter. Don't ever feed wildlife. Do everything in your power to keep your food safe, keep it wrapped up. Do you have a bird feeder, Mo? I do not. Do you think it applies to that as well? That's a tough one because this is where Leave No Trace comes into your own personal ethics. You know, it's like a sliding scale. You could be over here on Leave No Trace to the left or way over here on Leave No Trace to the right and everybody can fall in between. And for somebody that has a bird feeder, they're interacting with nature. They're learning about nature. And in the wintertime, food's scarce. But if that person leaves the bird feeder out all year, now you're changing, really changing the habit of that said animal. Once you get to spring, take them down. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's mostly for the bears, but you don't want to have that bird reliant on that bird feeder because what if you move and sell the house and the next people don't put a bird feeder out? <laughs> Hardcore, leave no tracer. <laughs> they would probably say no bird feeder because you are changing the habitat or the nature of the bird. But if someone has a bird feeder and they have kids and they're learning about the birds, their connection to nature is now growing. The impacts of folks connecting to birds and nature like that could send them down a path to be a huge ambassador for nature. So, you know, it's a lot of that weighing some of those options. You know, leave no trace is not rules, like you must. It sort of comes down to your own personal ethics. And now, leave no trace principle number seven. Finally, we have number seven. Number seven of leave no trace, respecting others. <laughs> if you follow the other six principles, you are respecting others. And people kind of look at me like, what do you mean? So if you plan and prepare properly, you have a much, much, much less chance of having to call search and rescue for help, causing that search and rescuer potentially 
missing their four-year-old's birthday party because that's what they do. They come and help people and they're coming. There's been this awkward, uncomfortable realization that I'm starting to hear about or see. And it's sort of like people, their plan B is I'll call the ranger. Having a search and rescue team, having rangers, having volunteers that come out and help people is wonderful, but that shouldn't just give people the sense of, well, I don't have to prep for anything. I'll just call for help. And that's something that a trend I hope doesn't continue to grow because that's not respecting another person. Just, oh, they'll just come get me. Some of the onus should be on you to have some stuff with you. Have a headlamp, have relatively good footwear, have some sort of plan, have a map, being out in the woods, bumping into people and they'll ask me questions. My first thing I'll say to them is, take out your map and I'll point to you where we are. And they just look at me blankly. So I'll say, all right, take out your phone and open your tracking device with the map and I'll show you where we are. And they still look at me blankly. Not even having a sense of where you are, it's like, I see so many people putting themselves in grave danger and they have no idea. It does worry me the lack of unprepared people I bump into out here. And I look at it as how as a community, a society, a nation, we can encourage more people to come outside, but be better prepared. Be aware of people around you. So don't be shouting to one another in the forest. <laughs> don't be uh, playing loud music that people can hear like, what's coming? And you just hear this noise. Music can be a very, healing and a huge part of someone's outdoor adventure. When I threw hiked the Appalachian Trail, I listened to music a lot, but I had an earbud in. So I had it just in the fact of in my own personal space. Sometimes the earbuds when, my, when I was sweaty, they'd fall out. So I would clip my phone on my chest and I would play music very low volume that I could only hear. And as soon as I saw somebody coming, I paused it turned it off, said, I'm so sorry. And they said, for what? And I said, oh, I was playing music. Oh, we didn't know. But I premised it was a great interaction versus you're hiking along with a group of friends with a speaker hooked on your backpack. You just totally, <laughs> it was a buzzkill for that group that we're out here to have some solace in the woods. You know, everybody's out here for a reason and you don't necessarily know that person's story. And so trying to be respectful of their own experience in nature is important. And also hiking with dogs, keeping them on leashes, that also probably plays into this one. Yes, exactly. I mean, being out in the forest with an animal is wonderful, but you know, people have a fear of dogs. There could be so many reasons for that. And by respecting another person, perfect example, I'll be hiking with a client, and we're coming down and we see somebody coming with a dog and you see the person stop and they're holding onto their dog and they're like, hey, how are you? Are you dog friendly? We, we start talking, oh, I love dogs. And they let the dog go and the dog runs over to me and you know, it's great, it's a great experience. There have been times where person says nothing, sees us, dog comes charging, oh, they're so friendly. And now is jumping and claws are going into my chest and I'm like, all right, this is not cool. Like what is going on here? And so simple respect, 
And that goes for Main Street, yeah, any of the towns too. Totally, totally. A lot of these principles carry over, not just from the trail, but other yep. you know, public spaces or so if you living at, life. Yeah, if you look at Leave No Trace, I say in everyday life. You could do all seven principles every day. Every day, they can uh, connect in some capacity. And they're all interconnected. All seven principles are all connected. And if folks start with number one, plan, research, prep, what do I need? What should I bring? Where am I going? Who am I telling? The what, where, why, when? It all just will cascade down into one another. And there you have it. The seven principles of Leave No Trace. One, plan and prepare. Two, travel and camp on durable surfaces. Three, dispose of waste properly. Four, leave what you find. Five, minimize campfire impacts. Six, respect wildlife. And seven, be considerate of others. So my question for Mo, which of these did those hikers violate when they decided to donate a couple of Adirondack chairs to the summit of Slide Mountain? So three hikers carried some wooden Adirondack chairs to the summit of Slide Mountain yep. with the intention of leaving them there for public use. Yes. Some might say, what a nice gesture. Their wooden chairs are gonna break down anyway. Yep. And uh, you know, maybe someone who is tired at the top could use a place to sit and enjoy mm -hmm. the view. So probably good intentions. Totally. Um, which of the principles is that one violating and why? So, okay, so that would fall under number three, carry in, carry out, dispose of waste properly. Is it considered trash? Probably to not the individuals. Would I consider it trash? Yeah. Why? Well, Slide Mountain's the tallest mountain in the Catskills. It's remote. It's far away from any road. There's no signs of man. Yes, there's a few carvings in stones from 1860 and stuff like that. But if I was to walk up on Slide and come across Adirondack chairs, it totally takes the feel of Slide Mountain away from what it is for me. Leaving it there changes the whole dynamics of what a wilderness area is. A wilderness area is basically as nature intended. If you did plan and prepare and you understood rules and regulations, a non-conforming structure can't be on the forest reserve. And so an Adirondack chair is a non-conforming structure. It's not part of the natural scenery. And so those people, I, it wasn't a malicious thing. It was just they didn't know. You know, they're probably correlating it to Central Park has benches, uh, Harriman has benches. You hike Bear Mountain, you come around and there's this hand-built wooden bench out of like tree logs and branches. It's beautiful, beautiful place to sit. Harriman, the amount of visitors there and the feel of Harriman is so much different than the Catskills. We want it to be wilderness. We want that feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, even though we're only three hours from New York City, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. To learn more about Leave No Trace, check out lnt.org. And if you'd like to take a hike with Mo, you can find him at hikeonguides.com. Our thanks to Mo and to the Mountain Eagle, covering Delaware, Green, and Schoharie counties, including brands for local regions like the Wyndham Weekly, Schoharie News, and Catskills Chronicle. For more information, call 518-763-6854 or email mountaineaglenews 
at gmail.com. Cats Cast is now a two-time winner of the Chronogrammy's Best Regional Podcast Award. Please subscribe, tell your friends about us, and be sure to give us a rating so more listeners can find us. I'm Brett Barry. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.